A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Thanks, Kayla. You guys can have a seat. Well, kids, good to see you. Good to have you in here. So it's the fifth Sunday of the month. That's our rhythm. The fifth Sunday of the month, the kids will be in here. But last week, which was the fifth Sunday of October, uh, we just didn't think uh, Pastor Bill was, was preaching on grief and loss, and we thought today would be better. So we just made a little swap. Um, but usually it's the fifth Sunday of the month when the kids join us. Um, and so kids, I hope you can pay attention and follow along. Adults, I hope you can pay attention and follow along. Um, when, when my kids were younger, they're 12 about to be 10 and 7, but when they were younger, going to preschool, going to kindergarten, um, one question that I used to ask them when they were going, dropping them off, didn't ask them every day, but often I said, what is your most important job today? And the answer was that they often remembered, love people. It's the most important job. Do good in school and get good grades, sure, 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 but love people. You're going off there. Jesus is sending you there to love people. Now at the time, because they were young, they didn't fully understand what it meant to love people. And now that they're 12, 10, and 7, they still don't fully understand what it means to love people. And that's not a criticism of my kids. I can say that because I don't fully understand what it means to love people. And I don't think anybody here fully grasp what does it mean to love people. We're continuing a series that we've been in called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, and uh, what this means is that uh, we're just talking about how our emotions, our joy, our peace, our uh, anger, all of that should line up with God. It should be uh, healthy. He wants to change us and transform us in all kinds of ways, including our emotions, how we react to things, what we get angry about. He wants our joy to be in him. And one way that we grow in this is to make love the measure of our maturity. Or, kids, another way to put it is make love the most important goal. Your number one job is to grow in this. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest commandments, to grow in love. And so what I want everybody to walk away from today with are questions that you can start to ask in your prayer time. Uh, ask God, ask yourself. Um, this is the slide that I'm about to show you that you can take a photo of if you want to remember it. This is it. This is what I want you to get. Get in the habit of doing. To ask these questions. Number one, am I becoming a more loving person? If you know Jesus, if Jesus is in you, then we should become a more loving person as we grow. So you can ask this question every week, every couple weeks, every month. You can even ask those closest to you. Parents, you can even ask your kids, am I becoming a more loving person? And kids, you can ask your parents. Another question you can ask is, who do you, at, talking to God, God, who do you want me to love today? Who, like in the morning, when you wake up, you can ask this, God, who do you want me to show love to? Maybe it's somebody who lives in your house. Maybe it's somebody at school. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's your spouse. And then one more question. Did I love people today? You can ask this at the end of the day. Kids, you following along? Jonah, you got these questions? Everybody got this? Frank, Rigo, 
These are the questions. Did I love people today? Lord, did I love people today? And if not, what do I need to correct? Who do I need to apologize to? Where is my heart off? Now, asking these questions, here's what it does. It starts to rewire your brain. It starts to rewire your brain so that this becomes a greater focus because you know what we naturally focus on? We naturally focus on a lot of other questions. Am I being included? Do people like me? Why didn't I get invited to that party? Why do I feel this way? Am I going to be successful at my job? Am I going to get that promotion? Am I going to be popular? There's a lot of other questions that we tend to focus on, all of which, or most of which, are really outside of our control. But these questions are questions that we have a lot more control over. Did I love people today? Who do you want me to love today? These questions will rewire our brain, and if we can start to make love a bigger focus, a bigger goal, then it will free us. We will have more joy and peace because it'll free us. It'll free us from um, being frustrated when somebody interrupts us. So like I don't like when, like if I have a lot of goals in a day and or I'm in a rush and somebody interrupts me, I can see them as an obstacle to my goals. Anybody else? But if love is the goal, then God's like, oh, here, here's your opportunity to love somebody. And it changes my focus. I'm more free. I'm free to be interrupted because that's my goal is to love. It frees us uh, from having things to, needing things to be fair. Anybody want things to be fair? We try to teach our kids, oh, life isn't fair. We're not going to try too hard to make things fair for you. And they're okay with that so long as their sister has life unfair. They'll remind each other, remember, life's not fair. But when life's unfair for them, it gets harder. But when love is our goal, when love is our focus, then we're free from worrying about life being fair. And we can just say, God, did I love people today? That's my focus. Did I honor you by loving people today? And then another example that it frees us from, it frees us from the need to be included and liked all the time. We're not going to be. There's going to be times when people don't like us. But if the goal is to love people, it, again, it shifts our focus, and it can always be a win, right? Maybe people don't like us, but did I love the people who didn't like me today? Then I honored God, and it was a win, Jesus said, uh, my daughter Kayla just read it, but we're going to look at it again. Jesus said, at the Last Supper, by the way, this is before he's betrayed and he's crucified the next morning. He said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you. Everybody listening, kids listening? A new commandment I give you, Jesus said, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He said love quite a bit, didn't he? Now, what does he mean by new? Is it, does he mean that like, hey, this is something that you guys have never heard about before, something called love? It's not what he was saying. They had heard about love. They knew their scriptures. They knew that they were to love people. That word new is like fresh or upgrade. Jesus is saying, I came to give you an updated version, an upgraded version of what love really is. He came and he loved in a way that people hadn't seen before. So it wasn't like love was new, but his version of love, how he loves us, it was new. It's kind of like when we jumped from the landline phone. Anybody remember a landline phone? Kids, you can go to a museum and you will see a landline phone. 
This is phones that were stuck to the wall, so you'd, you'd, you could only go like this far with your phone. And if you go too far, it kind of gets stretched back. So we were making calls back then, but when the cell phone came along, it was upgraded. You could walk around parks and city streets and make calls, and now you can do so many other things. So it's not like um, uh, Jesus was saying, hey, I came to give you something that you can make calls with. And they're like, calls? That's crazy. He was saying, I'm, I'm giving you a cell phone. You've been stuck to the wall with these landlines. I'm giving you a cell phone. It's more powerful and, and you'll have more freedom. And that's what he did with love. I'm telling you a new commandment. You're going to love people in the way that I've loved you. Upgraded. So much fresher than you've ever seen before. Now I want to show us a video that kind of describes or gives us a picture of what love is, what Jesus talked about when he talked about love. He gave so many commandments on love. So I'm going to take a little break from me, and we're going to watch a, a short little video. So if you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures, where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day it was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rachma. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. 
Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this, while we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. Okay, yeah, amen, amen pictures in our mind of Jesus's love for us, and that's what he meant when he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love one another with this kind of agape love, this kind of self-giving, sacrificial love. And then he said, let's go back to our passage, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another, if you have this kind of love. Now, how will people know? Is it by our Bible knowledge? Is it by our Bible memorization? No, those things are good, but they should lead to us being more loving people. Going to church, how about that? Is that how people will know that, oh, wow, they belong to Jesus, they go to church? No, no, no. My, my kids have come home from school and said, hey, so-and-so is believing in Jesus. How do you know? Well, they go to church. Unfortunately, we don't know if that's, that's not the mark. It's good good, but I hope they're learning about the love of Jesus and that's overflowing out of their hearts onto others. A lot of folks can go to church, check the box. What is the mark? Is it preaching? Is it good preaching? No. I may have a good sermon every now and then, and yet that doesn't mean that I belong to Jesus. doesn't mean I'm mature in Jesus. The mark of our maturity, the mark that we belong to Jesus is our love, my love. Am I a loving person? And sometimes I fail to love like I should. I'm going to give you a few examples as I was reflecting on this. I want to give up a few examples of how I fail to love. And some of you guys, my family, have been the recipients of that. Um, sometimes when I'm on the phone with people, I, I multitask. And, and I know there's things that, you know, you can do while you're talking on the phone, yard work, cleaning, cooking, and you can focus. But there's things that you probably shouldn't be doing. I read emails sometimes while I'm on the phone. Now, I don't set out to do that, but I just start doing it. And then the next thing I know, I'm like, wait a second. What are they saying? Oh, no. My wife says she can tell when I'm stopped paying attention. I go, wow, that's, that's, that's amazing. 
And she's like, you don't express like that normally. Are you reading something? And now what is that? That's not putting a value on the person in front of me. And if I really can't do both, I should say, hey, I can't talk right now. I'll call you back. Now you might think, well, I do that. Everybody does that. We're living in an ADD time. And sure, sure, sure. Let me give you a few other examples. Um, I can be critical of people in my heart. I will not always say it, although sometimes I do, but uh, sometimes it's just in my heart. I'm like, oh my goodness, can you believe it? And, and, and I kind of grumble about a person in my heart. And that's not very loving. That's kind of self-righteous. It's prideful, as if I'm up here and they're down here. Why can't they just get it together like I have it together? Sometimes I'll get a text or an email, and you know what I'll do? I'll roll my eyes. Anybody else do that? Oh my goodness, seriously? Really? Now, what is that? That's, 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 that's devaluing, at the very least, it's devaluing what the person said. It's possibly and most likely devaluing the person in that moment. And if they saw me roll my eyes, they'd be hurt. And so the fact that I'm doing it behind their backs is almost, you know, it's kind of dishonest. It's not loving. I want to grow in that. I should want to grow in that. I don't always want to grow in that. But I should want to grow in that. And if love is my goal, if that's my focus, then yes, oh God, help me to grow in that. Here's one more example. Sometimes I will want to fix people, not out of compassion for them, but because their negative traits annoy me. Now, we can confront and challenge people because we care about them and we have compassion for them and we want to see them get unstuck from whatever they're stuck in. But sometimes I do it because they're just annoying to me and it's so it's selfish. It's not loving. Can anybody relate to those examples? We all need to grow in the area of love because love is the mark that we follow Jesus. Love is the mark that we actually really belong to him, cling to him. It's like, um, it's like uh, you know, uh, uh, like Nike putting their, their name on a pair of sneakers. This came from Nike. Well, our love that comes out of us is Jesus' mark on us. He came from me. He belongs to me. Love is the mark. Now, why does it show that? Why does love show that we belong to Jesus? Um, let me ask the kids a question in here. How many of you kids believe that if you were to jump off this stage with me a few feet away, that I could catch you? Raise your hand if you believe I could do that. Kids? Jonah, do you think I could do that? You don't think I could do that? Okay. <laughs> Honest. I like that. So who thinks I could do that? A few people? All right. Sophia, you think I could do that? Okay. Are you willing to put your faith in that belief? Yeah? Come on down. Come on down. I don't think your parents would sue me if something happened. <laughs> yeah, come. Huh? No. No, I'll just be right here. Ready? One, two, three. You did it. Good job, Sophia. So there's a difference between I believe that you could and I'm willing to throw my weight into that belief. And when we love people like Jesus loves us, that's us throwing our weight into Jesus.
we're saying Jesus because love is risky. Loving people like Jesus loved us is risky. Now the world will love people who loves them back. That's not very risky. Are you going to love me? I'll love you if you love me. That's what the world does. Jesus says, no, you love those who can't pay you back. Love those who are your enemies. Love those who are annoying to you. That's like jumping off the stage and saying, God, I'm trusting you're going to catch me. And that's why it shows that we really have faith in Jesus. Because we're willing to love like that. They said of the early Christians, people, the pagans who looked at the early Christians, they said, man, they have crazy beliefs, but wow, do they love each other. Their love was a mark that they really trusted in Jesus. I need two more volunteers. Kids, preferably. All right, Tessa, and who else? Who else is willing? Who's back there? All right, come on down, whoever that is. Okay, who? Need one more. Where's Daniel Dornacker? Gabby? All right, Gabby, come on down. All right. Let's see. All right. Tessa, you start over here. Hey, Gabby. Oh, Daniel's here too. All right. Well, here's the thing. You guys know how to do rock, paper, scissor? Because I only need one of you. Um, actually, no. We're going to change it. Let's do this. Both of you guys stand off to the side for a moment. Okay. All right, Tessa, this is Tessa's life, all right? As she walks along her life, she has a relationship with God, and God blesses her with a pack of cookies. Now, these cookies can represent cookies. They can represent money. They can represent any kind of resources, talent, time, your house, your home, your job. So Tessa is blessed with a pack of cookies by God. She says, thank you, God. I represent God in this story. Now, Tessa keeps living her life, works her job, and goes to school, whatever she does. And God blesses her with another pack of muffins this time. And then she bumps into Gabby. Gabby, you come up. You guys bump into each other at school. Gabby, <laughs> they literally bumped. Very good. The bumper cars. Gabby doesn't have any cookies. Now, do you feel bad for her that she has nothing? Are you willing to give her one of your cookies, one of your bags? That's very kind of you, Gabby. Now, is that nice? It's nice. But that's what most people in the world would do. I got two bags of cookies, you got zero, I'll give you one of my bags. It's nice, it's kind. Let's reverse this story. Give me the cookies. Go back to where you were, Gabby. We're going to do this again. Go ahead, Gabby. You can start stand off to the side right here for a moment. All right. Tessa's living her life. God blesses her with a bag of cookies. Now, this is when in her life she bumps into Gabby. Gabby, come over here. I'm going to move this. You guys bump into each other at school or at the park. You guys become friends. Now, <laughs> you can hug each other. That's, that's cool. All right, now, you find out that Gabby has no cookies. What are you going to do? Now, I'll give you a couple options. What you can do is think to yourself, 
I only have one bag of cookies. I can't afford to give this person what I only have one of. And that's fine. You can do that. And, and sometimes that is maybe the, the, the wise thing to do. But let's say you felt like God was nudging you to give her the cookies, even though you're not going to have any left over. What would you do? You give her the cookies? So Gabby, you get the cookies, she gets none, and you get to go live your life. So you can go back to your parents. Give it up for Gabby. You get to keep those. Your parents said that you didn't have enough sugar for Halloween. This leaves Tessa without cookies. Now this is a moment in our lives, if we do this, if we give away what we only have limited amounts of, this is a moment where we might feel like, God, what about me? What about me? Are you going to take care of me? Are you going to provide for me? And that's a moment when, when we really love people like Jesus loves us, where we do feel like that. Maybe there's a party in high school, and you want to go to the party, and then you realize God puts it on your heart to reach out to somebody who, who's not included and doesn't have friends, and, and the people throwing the party doesn't want that person there, so you have to make a choice. And you say, well, I'm going to go hang out with this person. And then the next day, you hear about everybody talking about the party, and you feel like you missed out. That's a risk. That's a sacrifice. And so in this moment, Tessa may have no cookies. But what she does have, if she has a relationship with Jesus, is she has a heavenly father who at the very least gives her what is the best thing of all, his presence. He says, I'm here for you. I'm here with you. I got you. You don't need cookies. You get me. But because our God is a blesser and he loves to bless his children, God may just keep living your life. And now you bump into Daniel. Daniel, you come bump into Tessa. And let's say that Daniel is really, really blessed by God with lots of cookies. Hold on to those. Daniel, what are you, and Daniel's a follower of Jesus. Daniel, are you willing to give Tessa any of your resources? What are you willing to give her? Two of them? Awesome. So now she gave away one, ended up with zero, but God sent somebody else into her life, and now she's got two. And that's how God often works. We say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to jump off the stage into your arms. I don't know how you're going to catch me. And we have a moment where we're like, I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know if I'm going to pay my bills. I don't know how well, I'm going to have time to do this or that. But God catches us. He sends somebody else into our life, maybe. And we are blessed and provided for by him. Guys, you can keep those. Thank you so much. Give it up for these guys. So, when we give away the limited that we have, when we make sacrifices, when we take risks for God, it shows that we belong to Jesus because most of the world aren't willing to do that. They're willing to give away a, pair, a pack of cookies if they know that they have another pack. But the kind of risk and the kind of sacrifice that God asks for, loving people who actually don't like us, that's sacrifice, that's risk, and it shows, wow, they have been touched by the love of God. They understand God's agape love for them so much that it overflows onto others. So again, the questions are, am I becoming a more loving person? Ask this question of yourself. Ask God, am I becoming? And this isn't for you to kind of um, like grade yourself and get too focused on, you know, um, uh, you can get overly obsessed with that. That's not what I'm saying to do. But just asking God, hey, let this be my focus. Let this be my, my, uh, a bigger priority than everything else. 
Who do you want me to love today? Who can ask this question tomorrow morning to God? Who's willing to ask this question tomorrow morning? You might be surprised who God puts on your heart. It could be somebody who's mean to you. It could be somebody who doesn't like you. It could be somebody who has hurt you. Maybe it's just somebody who you don't like. You ever have somebody you don't like? Anybody? Well, what we can't do, and a lot of church people think that they can do this. You can't do this and honor God. You can't say, well, I'm just supposed to love people, but I don't have to like everybody. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's not honoring to God. Now, if you say, I don't like people, be honest. Sure, I don't like this person, God, but help me like them because the Bible says, love one another with brotherly affection. That's a feeling in your heart for them. I have affection for this person. And he says, he commands us to do that because sometimes we don't like somebody. And in those moments, we should say, God, help me to see them like you see them. Because I got stuff in my heart that's not likable. Help me, change me. When we don't like somebody, it's a signal to us that I need to grow. Who do you want me to love today? And then at the end of the day, did I love people? Did I love people? Sienna, can you come on up here for a second? You're not going to do anything. You're not going to do anything. My, my um, middle daughter and I, last night, we had a bit of an altercation. And, and, and we both said some things that were less than loving to each other. And we apologized to each other last night, but um, this morning when I was thinking about the sermon, I was like, yeah, I wasn't, that's an area, right? Where yesterday, did I love people yesterday? Well, up until that moment, maybe. And so not only did I have to apologize to her, but I had, I had to ask God, what was in my heart there? There was some hurt there. And so these are real examples that God's going to give you. That person, that moment when you said that thing to them or when you refused to respond because you were hurt so you gave them the silent treatment or you were too busy and too rushed to actually treat the person at the store like a human being and you didn't listen to them. He might bring those things to mind. And that's okay. You know why that's okay? Because we have a God who died for us. For all the unloving things that we do, he died so that our sins could be forgiven. His love washes over our unlovableness. And he changes us. His spirit in us changes us. We just have to go to the cross and say, Jesus, I failed to love in that moment, or I failed to love that person. Forgive me. And he's faithful to forgive us. And then we get to say, help me to grow, to be more loving. And so I'm going to call the band up. And what we're going to do is we're going to sing a few songs about Jesus' love. And you guys can stand. As we sing, my prayer for you, this is why we sing. And I know we sing every week. It's our only time during the week, right? Most life groups don't get to sing together. Maybe you do. You could, by the way. Um, But this is the one time where a whole church gets to sing together. You know what this does? It takes these truths that we claim to believe about God. I'll let the... uh, can stop rolling for a moment. When we sing, it takes the truths about God and brings them back down into our soul where we can really take it in. Because the moments that we stop loving people are moments that we forget how much Jesus loves us. And so when we don't love people, we have to pause and go, God, why did I forget how much you love me? 
Why did I forget how much you've poured into me? Why did I forget that you've always been faithful to provide me with cookies at just the right time? Why did I forget that? So let's, let me just pray. Lord Jesus, remind us as we sing right now how much you love us, your reckless love, your faithful love. And let the love that you have for us overflow onto others. We don't have to force it to come out because you're alive in us. You're like a, a spring of living water that's always poured into us. And we need to let it flow out of us onto others. God, help us as a church to make love our biggest goal, the mark of our maturity, so that we don't get stressed out about all the other things. Let this be our biggest priority, Lord Jesus. Not life being fair, not being liked and accepted, not being successful. This. Because that will show the world that we really, really belong to you. That we're really, really, really throwing the weight of our lives onto you. In your name, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.